everyone. This is Stacy. Hi, I'm Liz. We are back with Tent Talks Tuesday. Yahoo! And we we're gonna slow it down today and talk about system theory and hierarchies and how we first were introduced to that. But before we get into that, let's do a quick check-in. Liz, how are you feeling in your body? Today, I feel, I love that you were like, let's slow this down. Like immediately when I hear that, I go, yeah, like there's no reason to be in a hurry, in a state of anxiety. Like let's just get back down to the body and connect and feel rhythm, feel, you know, our alignment. And I I am feeling that today. I am feeling more aligned. It's been a really hard week, but I feel like I've reached out to some of my anchors, my support system, friends, therapists, and regrounded you know, regrounded yeah. and regrouped in my in my tribe. And that's really helped me kind of show up the way I am today, I think. I think it wouldn't be feeling kind of this sense of peace and stillness had it not been for that. So yeah, we need our anchors. Yeah, I feel in my body today, like I have been through a lot. And I feel good, like, okay, now I'm here. And I can slow down and think clearly. And yeah, I just feel like a really nice rhythm in my body. It feels like clarity. Mm -hmm. Rhythm in your body. Yeah, I love that. So Liz and I were talking about our podcast and how sometimes we introduce these topics that we've been studying for years and have a real passion about. And some of the listeners, it might be their first time hearing it. And so we just wanted to slow down and talk about how we were first introduced to them and just give some basic, I guess, core foundation of why we're interested and talk about the things that we talk about. Yeah, we build frameworks kind of one, you know, one log at a time. And so I couldn't listen to some lecture on, you know, the neuroscience of blah, 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 and really follow unless I had (laughs) studied and kind of built up a a knowledge base. And so, yeah, sometimes we might not realize if we're kind of speaking a different language. So we apologize, we're trying, but, you know, really, we want to help people um, just be thinking about these things in their own lives. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have a good concept of systemic thinking. Oddly, I I remember going into a few programs, I went into the BYU marriage and family therapy program, because for some reason, as an undergrad, that just sounded like something I wanted to do. And when I went in there, all these people were like, oh, you want to work with clients, you want to do clinical work, then you want to be an LCSW, which is a licensed social worker. And I don't know why it didn't fit for me. And I and I just kept having this resistance to that. I don't really know where it was coming from. But I kept pushing this marriage and family therapy degree. And so I started a degree at Argosy University, which is, you know, like one of those business schools so that, you know, I could work while I was in the program. 
And come to find out, it's very different. It's kind of very different from all the other degrees in that it does focus primarily on systemic processes and thinking. And I don't think I really knew that before going into it or understood what that would really mean and how that would impact me. So basically, it's kind of looking at the whole family structure. So when you have a client come in, you're really treating the whole family. You're not just treating individual issues or individual traumas or individual mental disorders, for example. You know, like when you have a client, we were taught to look at that as the identified patient, but the patient is really the entire system, the whole family. And so if you think about serving up a pizza and everyone in the family has to take a slice because they're all part of the system. We all have accountability to what's going on. And that fit for me. I really resonated with that right off the bat. We have spoken about Gabor Mate and how he has a real systemic approach to trauma work because trauma is affecting so many of us, we often point to the people that are showing the signs and symptoms, but it's really systemic. And so he talks about things like even asthma being a systemic problem. Mm -hmm. We're all breathing this air. And so when I think about systems, I just think about air. We're all breathing it. Mm -hmm. And that helps me break down not only my own family, but parts of my community and then parts of even stepping out further to my nation or to the world. There's a lot of global issues. There's a lot of our community issues. There's a lot of our country issues. And, you know, there's a lot of issues stemming from my family. And how I do that is I just imagine myself kind of as if I'm floating in the air and I'm getting an overview vision. Yeah. So I just keep stepping up higher and higher and higher until I can see patterns. That's how I do it in my brain. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because I don't know if I would have really been able to do that, you know, had I not been forced to kind of challenge and obliterate the mindset of maybe tunnel vision, right? Of yeah. here's, here's where we laser in on the problem right here. And here, you know, it's kind of like a doctor, right? That we've talked about before that says, oh, this is this problem right here. It's, you know, you have this this inflammation in your hip and here's how we treat it and kind of lasering in on it when really it's a function of your whole body mm -hmm. and it's a holistic problem. And it could be because, you know, you've got tight muscles over on your back on the other side. And that could be because that's where you're holding a lot of your stress because you're overcompensating because, you know, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And it goes back to this whole mindset of like, you know, really looking at the integration of the whole rather than these mm -hmm. little tiny pieces. And so that's where we get into challenging things like scapegoating and shifting blame to people at a one down, right? So then we, we're going to have to address this idea, like you said, hierarchy, because it really challenges all of that. And I think to understand hierarchy, we need to define patriarchy. And patriarchy is a system, a mindset. It's not people or persons. They uphold the patriarchy. But the patriarchy is a mindset 
where basically white males are the highest rank and they control everything, it brings power back to them. So they're in charge by this authority. And because Christianity is the governing mindset and the foundation of this country, it's like white men, white straight men have this God-given authority to be in charge. Mm -hmm. Dominion might be another word for that. And it's over their wives. They have the last say. It's over the children. They're even smaller. Definitely the animals. And then comes the earth and all the plants. Mm -hmm. When if you really step back far enough, we wouldn't exist without trees and clean water. So we actually don't have dominion over them. We're in relationship with them. Yeah, that's and that's so that's so deep, right? But I, I think that, you know, it's hard for people to see what you've, what you're benefiting from, you know, and I, I think we've, we discussed it a little bit before we started recording. Why are people so sensitive to this word privilege, right? Why are they so sensitive to that in regards to these systems? And, you know, I think it's because we don't realize what we're hearing and it's not an accusation or saying, you know, you are an abusive person. It's just saying you benefit in the systemic process from these privileges. Mm -hmm. I benefit from privilege, being a white person, being a straight person, being there's these financially hierarchies. Mm -hmm. And so because the patriarchy is the structure, then the hierarchy is how people rank in that system. Yeah, like if if my my spouse is a white male, I benefit off the the hierarchy too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so privilege is just where you fall on this hierarchy. Entitlement is when you have this privilege but you either know about it and won't admit to it or are living in denial about it. Yeah. And you ex- just expect. Expect the entire Yeah. And, so, and the power given to you. So we just want to, I guess, take off some hypothetical lenses and say, you know, what, like, where do you exist in this hierarchical system? How do you ben? How do all what of us dif- benefit in different yeah. ways? And how are we all maybe scapegoated in other ways? And, and not saying that, if you fit somewhere on that hierarchy, that makes you a bad person. That's not that's not what we're doing. We want to talk about, again, systemic accountability and how we have all fed into and are maintaining this mindset. So when we're aware of it, then we have choice. We can say, am I going to do the thing that is going to further perpetuate this hierarchical structure? Or am I going to do the thing and be the person that challenges it. And ultimately we challenge it because it doesn't feel good knowing that our privilege or our ranking in the hierarchy is because of the oppression of someone else yeah, or the earth. That doesn't feel good in no. the body. So that's why we're even talking about this is because 
we want to challenge the system and we want to create something that is more in alignment with yeah yeah all of us it, rising it, it, together it abuses everybody right i think mm-hmm. that's something people don't understand when you know i'm not saying there aren't voices out there you know women who who are maybe using that in in unhealthy ways too or they are they're using kind of contempt for perhaps men in their life. But when we recognize the systemic thinking behind it, we realize it hurts everybody. You know, it hurts the people at the top as well. If they have to benefit, if the society tells them, this is your place and you have to be here and you benefit off the oppression of others, that's also abusive to them. And and you can't emote and you can't do what's authentic for you because you have to be this person we want you to be, you know? Yeah. One of the ways that we keep upholding these structures is a term called cognitive dissonance. And I'm just going to read right out of Brene Brown's latest book, Atlas of the Heart. She says, cognitive dissonance is a state of tension that occurs when a person holds two cognitions and cognitions are ideas, attitudes, beliefs, or opinions. So you're holding two cognitions that are psychologically inconsistent with each other. Cognition being a way of thinking, a mindset, yeah. right? So, so like, you know, what, what are some of the examples we talked about that were, you know, an example of this? In the book, she gives the example of people who are smokers and they believe that it's not good for them but they come up with a reason that it is good for them so that they can maintain doing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and that's, everybody has a base addiction yeah. or has an addiction tendency. So like any addiction that you have, you might recognize it as an addiction, but you also might say, well, this is my coping mechanism. Yeah. And so you might really hold on to it. And some things are okay, but some things are really harmful. Like we were talking about somebody who steals things out of cars while the door was open. They must have wanted it. You know, they kind of, yes, they so they justify a behavior that they don't even really agree with. They would definitely throw someone else under the bus for it and be furious if it happened to yeah, them. Yeah, if somebody broke into their car, they'd be pissed. Yeah, but it, it, so yeah, it's this dissonance. And even dissonance coming back to this idea of privilege, like you don't see it sometimes until it really impacts you negatively or, or in a painful way. Like I can't always see the way I, like I've benefited off of like financial privilege in my family background or being, you know, white. like I haven't met challenges because of the color of my skin. I haven't you know, even growing up, have we talked about, you know, religious as an LDS person in this culture gave me certain privileges that I didn't know about until I stepped out. Like, yeah, the, you don't see it until it's kind of gone. <laughs> and we don't want to see it. And that's like, it's uncomfortable. There's discomfort when you start to see these structures, because then you realize that you are also accountable. And that's something going back to this book that is brought up and she says in these challenging moments of dissonance, we need to stay curious 
and resist choosing comfort over courage. Yeah. It's brave to invite new information to the table, to sit with it, hear it out. It's also rare. So it might be really uncomfortable when someone calls something out that maybe you're doing or that you're a part of, and your initial response might be defense. And Liz and I have talked about that several times on the podcast before. If this information creates defensiveness inside of you, listen to that. And that's what we're talking about with with cognitive dissonance. It's like, you don't really want to hear it because what does that mean about you? So there's a great deal of compassion. We we don't that, know that we what each, we know yeah. until we know it. Yeah, compassion that we need to hold for ourselves during mm-hmm. this process. It's kind of like people go to the gym to build their physical strength and build muscle. And that doesn't always feel good, right? It's pain to tear down old tissue and rebuild. Mm-hmm. And it's painful to tear down old mindsets and rebuild. Yes, Adam Grant says, intelligence is traditionally viewed as the ability to think and learn. Yet in a turbulent world, there's another set of cognitive skills that matter more. The ability to rethink and unlearn. Yeah, unlearn. Unlearn. And that's sometimes when we say the word deconditioning. Deprogramming. Deprogramming. We do have to unlearn certain things because our parents taught us certain values that aligned with them. Yeah. And they're not always the same values that align with us. Like we also have our own value system and we live in a different world than when our parents, you know, were living. And so there's an inherent wisdom that we come into the world with. Yeah. Just because we're building off of the generations before us. Yeah. And and there's a beauty in that, and it's not to discredit or to say, I know better than my elders, but even sometimes, like, listening to your parents before your own self, your own internal compass, that's even a, a hierarchy. Yep, that's, that's, a, that's a systemic mindset, right? This whole obey and respect your elders, and that because I've lived longer, have more experience, that I'm wiser, more intelligent, and I know what you need to do in your life is a systemic mindset that is very destructive. There are certain elders that I do respect and that I I feel are very wise and want to learn from, and there are some that I don't. Yeah, And that's okay mm-hmm. because it doesn't have to do with just age exclusively. Yeah. There are some people that live a long time and they – they don't challenge mindset. They don't do any of this rethinking and unlearning, and they don't have a real zest for life. They've stayed in their comfort. Yeah, they've stayed in their comfort. And I don't know. I don't really want to ask people who've stayed in their comfort their whole life for life advice on how I can become a better person. You know, that that leads me to one of my most favorite quotes by Brene, and, and I'm not quoting this verbatim, but she talks about a lot in her previous work about this arena, you know, an arena being a symbol of what you're going through in your life and the challenges that you're facing. And she says, you know, if you're not also in that arena getting your ass kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and I, 
I'm obsessed with this book, Atlas of the Heart. I'm sorry to keep referencing it, but I, I'm not sorry because it's so, so good. And I want to introduce another concept that is sometimes we're right on the fence. Like we don't want to be held accountable to some of the hierarchies that we benefit from, some of the systemic privilege that we have. And so we kind of sidestep it and we use sympathetic language. And she introduces this concept of, well, it's called the near enemy concept. And it's when something is close, but not quite. It's like a lot of people use that pilot example, where if you're just like one degree off, you'll go somewhere completely else. Well, the same is true with like emotional intelligence and living in alignment. So sometimes we see sympathy as a good quality, but it's actually a near enemy to empathy. Because when somebody is struggling and we say something like, I'm so sorry for you, or... And then we go back to living in our privilege. Yeah. You know, like we like, that sucks for you. And then you see this person just kind of like disconnect Mm -hmm. back into their own reality where like everything's fine and it doesn't affect them. That's so, it's almost like don't even bother to say I'm so sorry. Yeah. Don't. Don't use that energy because it's actually not doing anything. Yeah. If you're not willing to enter into this reality, and I see that the ways you're benefiting or or you live in ignorance of this, and you're willing to challenge that, and I see this kind of deconstruction happening, that feels like empathy, right? That feels like you're showing up into my reality for a second. Yeah. So there's this really tricky tension. We've all heard the adage, like put yourself in someone else's shoes. But that doesn't really work if you are living in a state of cognitive dissonance, because your experience won't match theirs. And so you might doubt them or just kind of use another excuse. Well, they're really hyper emotional right now, or they're this or they're that. And so we really have to be careful and almost sit still within ourselves and quiet down those immediate reactions and responses. Because when somebody is brave enough to share with us something big for them, we don't have to have their same experience, but we have emotions that are the same. Yes. And if we can just connect to our own experience of that emotion then that's where the healing begins. But if you're talking with people who've never stepped into their own emotions, then they have so much cognitive dissonance and they can't see the systemic big picture. And it starts with the journey inward, not outward is Mm -hmm. the great paradox. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what's hard for, you know, shaking up the power dynamic is, yeah, we want to like shake the reality into some of these people or the people that are, benefiting more than us or you know like men we're like can't you see what you're doing to other people and really like you said it has to start first with their self journey and really connecting to the self and their own emotions and healing and i honestly feel like my my male clients are the bravest people i know because they're showing up to do that and again i sometimes wonder if i was 
benefiting off all those levels of hierarchy, would I have the courage to show up for that? We almost didn't have the choice to show up. It was like we had to. Yeah. Yeah. It was compelled. It was being compelled to do it. We have to do it. But men don't have to. Yeah. It's it's more of a choice, and which is why I think it's so brave. You know, when I see men showing up to do that and standing in their vulnerability and authenticity and really starting to deconstruct and deprogram, and that's something I feel honored to kind of witness with them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And And it's rare, right? It's rare, but I think – Again, there has to be leads and lead climbers and other people will follow those patterns if a few brave souls step forward, you know? Yeah. And going back to a system or systemic thinking, when I better myself, how does that affect the whole? When I do the internal work of looking at some of those things I don't want to look at and take accountability, what is that doing for everybody else around me? It's lifting them up, even if it's creating contrast. Some people learn through contrast. Yep. So sometimes I can feel more isolated in some of my family relationships or older friendships that I've had from when I was a child. Sometimes that contrast is needed. Yeah. And it can feel hurtful and lonely, but my internal work helps heal the collective. Yeah. We kind of really blew up into, you know, society really fast, but to kind of bring it back to family systems a little bit, you know, everyone in the family being accountable, really deconstructing anywhere there's kind of a one-up, one-down dynamic, any anywhere that's happening, even when it comes to, you know, somebody's dealing with depression, and there's this kind of one down mindset or an addiction, it's like, oh, well, so and so in their addiction, like, or, you know, someone's an, an excellent student, and a parent might say, why can't you be more like your brother who gets straight A's like, those are these power dynamics, and scapegoating tactics that a lack of systemic thinking will perpetuate where we are, we're looking for scapegoats, we're looking for problems, so that we don't have to take accountability. I've had within my own family, a couple of siblings who've had really very traumatic events happen in their lives, either attempted suicides or really bad addictions, abusive relationships. And it's easy to label them and their problems that might be more public. But my family as a whole unit, there's been some trauma that has been unaddressed. And there's a dis-ease. There's a problem there. And it just keeps leaking out. And until the system can be accountable, there's only scapegoating, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wish that I could just sit in a room with all of my family and say there there were a lot of hurts that never got mm. addressed. And maybe if we all just said I'm sorry and I'm taking a piece of this accountability, 
which would really just be their own healing journey, then the whole family could heal. But you don't have to heal the whole family. Every person just has to take themselves and say, okay. And and be able to sit and witness other people's mm-hmm. pain without feeling accused or attacked. And, yeah. you know, I it's funny because I've said those exact words, I think, to my dad many times. Like, why can't we all just come together, sit in a room and talk about how everyone's accountable, even how I was oblivious to it, how I scapegoated, you know, certain members of the family and how we all played into that blindly and unknowingly. And why can't we all just sit and deconstruct together, you know, and some people just aren't ready for that, I guess, that kind of level of systemic processing. Even if we could just get out of the space of blame, I don't want to blame my parents. They were just people doing the best they could. But because there was never an accounted, I'm sorry, I did the best I could, I feel this internal blame. And and as, as hard as I try on my own to do that, like what I feel would be so wonderful is if they would actually just show up and heal themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't need them to say, I'm sorry. I just need them to look at how their lives affect their children. Some, their sometimes this, I mean, I know people feel attacked even by this term kind of blindness, but it is just like blindness and ignorance. And I, I'm still blind and ignorant in a lot of ways. Like we all have an ignorance when we, we haven't, again, kind of directly deconstructed or been through certain things like a lot of my awareness has come from like you said just things just getting stripped away like it it wasn't necessarily a choice I don't know if I would have shown up to do that work I don't know it was like forced on me (laughs) initiations (laughs) yeah 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 it's not easy and some people do have a choice some people don't have a choice and that is why it's a hierarchy, because some people are living in oppression in such a way that they can't ignore it, while some people are just at the top benefiting, like yeah. billionaires and yeah. institutions. But yeah. if you're listening to this, it's a good sign that you're challenging. Challenging. And yeah. I just want to say thank you for that. Yeah. And we see you and, you know, we're doing it together and you're not alone for sure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.